You're listening to Legacy Lawyers, hosted by Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. Hey, everyone. What's up, Nathan? I'm up. What's going on? I am getting ready to teach a class on Medicaid this week. Wow. class to a bunch of other attorneys about some of the nuances of Medicaid. So that'd be cool. Some people might think so. I think so. Yeah. I I mean, other people might be bored out of their skulls, but yeah, but that's only if you teach it like, like a lot of lawyers teach stuff. Are you going to use like the monotone voice? Probably, I'll probably just read policy after policy. <laughs> policy 513 2. Yeah, that'll be brutal. <laughs> and they'll hate you because they didn't come there to have somebody read them the policy manual, they want somebody to explain it to them. Well, it's a six-hour course, or actually, is it eight? It's six to eight. Oh, I'm my teaching, gosh. I'm just teaching two of the hours, and then some other attorneys are teaching the others. So. What's hilarious about that is that eight hours later, those people will they will have learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as one of my law, prof, law professors used to say to us almost every day that he would walk into class, he would walk in and we all be sitting there and he would just shake his head and he would say, there's so much you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> like you guys are going to be in law school for three years and then you're going to go out and get kicked in the teeth because there's no way we can teach you everything you need to know in three years. Same with Medicaid, not, not going to happen in eight hours. Like, Oh yeah. When I was preparing my materials, I mean, two hours of materials, I spent probably at least, you know, eight hours preparing them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to cut down a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, what's crazy yeah. is that I, um, I've been practicing 20 years and, but it's only been in the last eight or so that I've had anything to do with Medicaid. And I feel like it took me four years to like to really wrap my and I still don't know there's still little nuances like yeah like uh, there's still things that we have to call our good friend your brother the Medicaid planner the certified Medicaid planner so if there's somebody that does that and that's all they do is plan for Medicaid then and there's a certificate for it then you know it's they're pretty good usually yeah Mm-hmm. So I figured since I'm teaching on Medicaid this week, we should maybe share with our listeners some of the common mistakes we see. We, you're teaching. I think you should just, <laughs> I'm just going to go on mute and you no, can just. too late. You just said it last you, eight years you've been doing Medicaid. I know, but I want to, I want to see like, this is your, this is your test case for your, this is where you get to test out all your material and we can. My dry run. 
yeah, this is your dry run. And we can tell you whether or not it's going to be any good. Oh, I don't, I don't think the, I think the difference in audiences is enough that uh, <laughs> if I give you guys a dry run of what I'm going to do in that CLE, you'll be like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's going to fail, Mike. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So what do you want to do instead? Well, I, I just want to maybe share some of the most common mistakes we see. Just throw a few of them out there so that if anyone knows, you know, if they have a loved one that's going to be applying for Medicaid. And when we say Medicaid, like we're primarily meaning in the context of needing it to pay for long-term care, like a nursing home or assisted living. Um, mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not meaning it in the context of like... Um, Backup health insurance or... Um, child who doesn't Chip. yeah who's not insured yeah so Chip. i don't know if it's called that everywhere but um child health insurance program is not what chip stands for you know what it's for low it's for um low income um families families that need health insurance for their kids the state will help subsidize that um what other programs are there with medicaid there's so many programs with medicaid yeah, I mean, yeah, they have programs that will help pay for like disabled adults who need yeah. social care and disabled children. And so every state has a Medicaid program and then there's like 20, 30, 40 sub programs. And yeah, and yeah. some states even have their own names for it. Like California, of course, is going to have to be different. <laughs> it's Medi-Cal. I think there's other jurisdictions that have their own names, though. So I shouldn't just pick on California, but um, gosh, I know there is at least one other one that I've seen before. But anyway, Utah, it's Utah Medicaid. It is. It is. And we did so, an awesome episode back in, that's last, it was one of our earlier episodes about. Medicaid, I think we call it Medicaid's dirty secret. Oh, yeah. um, the state recovery. And we, and we explained how people after they're on Medicaid get this surprise letter from the states saying we are going to lean assets mm -hmm. that a person had. And people go, wait, I thought they were helping us. And then you're like, yeah, they were just helping you. For now. For now. And now that those assets weren't squared away properly they're going to recoup okay well kind of we're getting ahead of ourselves so um first thing is that me and mike are both um attorneys we are estate planning attorneys we are elder law attorneys we would probably go so far as to say that we are medicaid um attorneys we help people get eligible and evaluate eligibility and advise on eligibility for Medicaid. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is for educational and of course, entertainment purposes only. And you most definitely should not rely on anything that we say um, in your own case, except maybe the warnings like... <laughs> You can rely on the warnings. Do do seek out your own attorney um, or qualified legal or Medicaid planner 
um, before you venture into the black forest of Medicaid. Very true. Very true. So if you are listening to this and you're younger, then it's very likely, you know, you wouldn't need to worry about Medicaid for a long time, but you probably have parents or in laws who might need care. But let me just clarify what you said there, because when you have a parent that needs care, you're usually the one who's concerned because the parents so far gone cognitively or physically that they're not even the one that's seeking the help. Like most of the phone calls we get are from very stressed out children of adult parents of aging parents of elderly parents, senior parents. And um, you might have every reason in the world to worry about Medicaid, Mm -hmm. even if you're younger, maybe not for yourself, but, I've seen this be a major part of people's lives very early on, just because mom and dad are facing the issue or grandparents. It's pretty rare that I don't talk to someone and they don't have some family member who ended up needing care. And then the question was, how do we pay for it? And um, normal insurance doesn't pay for that care. And And we won't go into all the nuances of all the insurances, but the bottom line is most families and the statistics are about 60% of long-term care is paid by Medicaid. Yeah. And I think we do need to make one clarification. So um, sometimes people get Medicare mixed up with Medicaid. Medicare is a federally subsidized insurance program for retired people. And but it functions exactly like every other type of health insurance for the most part. And in this regard, it functions the same. And that is that 180 bed days. So anything that's how I was kind of, there's a hundred, sorry, hundred bed days. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I got 180, hundred bed days. Um, so people think, well, but my health insurance, if, if I have issues that go on for years and years, they'll pay. And that's correct. Like they'll buy your insurances or, I mean, they'll buy your, they'll help you buy your prescriptions. They'll help pay for medical procedures, anything that's actual, you know, health insurance type care. But when you get to the point where the care that we're talking about is like activities of daily living that they need help with. So bathing, um, dressing, getting out of bed, ambulating, walking, ambulating. There's a term. Um, Transferring. Transferring, um, (laughs) toileting, all those types of things, or they can't live on their own safely, or they have memory care issues. Um, Those are the types of things that once you get past 100 days in a hospital bed, they're not going to pay anymore. And the closer you get to 100 days, the more co-insurance and co-pays you're going to have, the more expensive it's going to get. So at a certain point, a medical uh, health care, uh, the health insurance provider will come to the family and say, we're done from the standpoint of where they're going to stay, where they're going to receive their care, we're done. And certain types of care that they're receiving, we're done. Yeah, the insurance 
won't pay anymore. It's the and, tap out, right? It's the like tap, tap. And, we're out. And I, don't, I almost never see any families get to a hundred days because either, no. either they get better and they get discharged before the hundred days or they stop improving and then insurance doesn't want to pay because or they die, which is yeah. not always a bad outcome depending on the circumstance. So usually it's like 20 to 30 days, then the family yeah, because are paying out of pocket. Because they start tapping out a lot sooner than a hundred days. Like they're watching that thing like a hawk. Yeah. And you start getting phone calls daily, multiple times a day. Like what's the plan? Cause they're not improving. We're being told they're not improving. So from a medical standpoint, they're not our problem anymore. And they pretty much put it that way. They're not our problem anymore. <laughs> well, and they have to discharge them um, safely. So they do want to know what the plan is and they'll let them stay. If you can pay private. Pay. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but it's, it's $9,000 a month at a lot of places. And so <laughs> Uh, most families are like, oh, crap. And that's where Medicaid comes in because Medicaid will pay if someone needs to stay at the nursing home longer mm-hmm. and can also pay at an assisted living, even though um, that those rules are a little more um, complicated. But yeah, so for Medicaid for nursing homes and assisted livings, that's where we're going to focus. Mm-hmm. And what it is, it's a combination of. Um, state and federal tax dollars administered by the state, but sometimes governed by both state and always governed by state and federal law. Mm -hmm. So, and um, there's a whole division of state employees in every jurisdiction that that's their job is just to evaluate people's eligibility. And then once people get on, uh, monitor them, make sure they stay eligible and so forth. So one of the first mistakes that we see is people applying for the wrong programs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I, I think we even start somewhere else. Um, yeah. I think the first place we see, I don't know why, but um, on this little list of mistakes we made, I think we need to start with the last one, which is taking advice from the wrong source. Yeah, that's probably a good one. Because I think that part of the reason people end up applying for the wrong program is that they're not, they don't have the proper information. Um, So first place that I see people make a mistake here, getting advice from the wrong source is calling Medicaid. Wait, Medicaid's going to tell you all the rules and exactly what to do and how to do it. Anyone listening would laugh at that statement. And, and if they tell you the wrong thing, it's okay. They'll make it right. <laughs> I keep laughing because I can't even. And, you know, and it's just like, it's just like when I messed up my taxes that one year, I just called them and said, Hey, like I called you guys and you guys said, I just had to fill out that form and I'd be fine. And I fill out the form and now you're telling me I'm not fine. Can't you just. I'm not going to be able to pay this. You guys just wipe that off my ledger because it was your bad. You told me the wrong form. It's all your fault. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, then you hear, then you hear the laughter from the other side of the phone where they're like, <laughs> sounds like a problem, but it's not my problem. 
Hey, I, yeah, you would never call the IRS to get advice about how you should file your taxes or how much they, you should pay or. And you never rely on what they told you. And if you did rely on what they told you and it ended up be wrong, they, it's your problem. they could care less. No, it's, this is the rules. You got, you got to follow them or you get tax, tax penalty and we can go after you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So same thing you call Medicaid. I mean, first of all, just from personal experience to get a human to answer the telephone is a feat. It's challenging. Yeah. Well, and, and we have like the backdoor numbers, right? We have like some direct lines. We have places, we have numbers that just because we've worked in this area, we know how to contact people or we have direct email addresses. And even mm-hmm. in that case, sometimes getting information back is difficult. So the other thing that happens, I think, is you always have that neighbor that, or that family member that did it once. Gosh, they know everything about everything, right? Like, I mean, how many times have you worked with a client and you give them good, solid information that you know is correct because you've done this so many times and then they go talk to that neighbor or that family member and they come back and they're all freaked out because this person who supposedly knows everything and in reality knows just little like bits and pieces, just enough to be like dangerous told them something completely different. And for some reason, that family member, that neighbor is very convincing (laughs) and people go, but, but my neighbor, she, uh, this, she had to put her mom in a nursing home and this is what happened. And she says that if I do what you're telling me to do, that that's going to happen. And then I'm just like, Oh my gosh. And then you ask, two or three questions like and they don't you know to like get well were were the facts the same like was it a nursing home or was it an assisted living well oh i don't know i don't know well well was was your was that parent um that needed care married at the time they needed care with were they widowed or divorced they don't know that Hmm. Um, what did their, what was their assets income? consist of? Yeah. What, did, what was their income? They don't know any of those things. And every single Medicaid case is different based on those sets of facts. So I'm just going to say that neighbor or that family member, most likely, although well-intentioned, they, they mean well, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's not, I wouldn't rely on anything they say. And if you're, and if you're working with and paying a professional, just do that professional a favor and don't put what your neighbor told you or your family member told you and say that, I mean, I guess you can ask the question. I'm not trying to discourage questions. Uh, yeah, asking the question's okay, but I wouldn't I wouldn't get too worked up or take too serious what the neighbor says. 
Yeah. You can, you can say, yeah, you can check it off as something to double check on, but most likely what the, what the professional helping you told you is going to be correct. And what the neighbor's telling you is going to be inaccurate because the facts aren't the same or they just don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. The one thing that, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I had a client that we were helping with Medicaid and um, they worked with the state and they called their friend who is an employee with the state. So there's a tricky one because you think, well, they're going to know. They're going to know. And they, they said, Hey, yeah, if you do that, then the state's going to come after the house and got them all freaked out. And I took the call and I'm like, all right, Wrong well, information. it's not, yeah, that's not correct. And I emailed them all the rules so they could share that with share. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, maybe they should, maybe they need to read this policy and this policy and this policy and, and kind of brush up on the rules. Cause that's not how it works. Um, but yeah, it happens. Yeah. And then I'd say one other thing, and then we can maybe move on to your next one, which I think is probably the next mistake. But the one thing that I have seen neighbors and family members be pretty reliable on is, oh, you better get some help. Or that's good advice. Maybe they don't say it that way, but they say, oh my gosh, we had to go through this with my mom, or my neighbor went through this with their mom or dad. And they lost everything in the process. Like these, they, they, they took, and they say they, they took their money. They, it's not really that Medicaid came in and took their money. It's just that without going about this the right way, what ended up happening is mom or dad had to spend every last dime they had left to their name on that program. Their care. Yeah. The spend down. That's the, swear word that we use for (laughs) Medicaid. That's two four letter words. No, I don't know how many words they're not. Not all swear words are four letters. Most of them are, but spend down is a swear word where you have to spend down the assets of the person needing care below the asset limit, which in most cases for Medicaid is $2,000. Yeah. So most, yeah, usually you have to be under two grand in assets to apply, to qualify. So, which I don't know if we need to point this out, but that's called destitute. Yeah. Poverty. Pretty much broke. Um, So based on that, you'd be like, well, how does anyone ever qualify? And and there's some nuances there because. That's what you're going to talk about for eight hours during this training yeah it's gonna be awesome so that's where though the next mistake's a big deal like applying for the right program um some so it's medicaid has a lot of sub programs and then even the and then even when you're saying hey i'm gonna i need to apply because i'm an assisted living even those programs have subcategories as well so depending on which program someone's applying to determines what, which rules are going to apply mm-hmm. and qualification rules are not always the same for every program. So where's, and this is where the neighbor advice can be totally off. Like if you're where one program, the person would no way they, they don't qualify. They would never qualify, but for a different program, it might meet all the rules and they could totally get help. Yeah. So 
you're saying that if I'm trying to get in, get help paying for an assisted living and I apply for skilled nursing Medicaid, nursing home Medicaid, that that's not going to end well for me? Um, it's, it's just not going to ever get processed correctly. Yeah, it's not going to get approved. So yeah, and really what happens from an application standpoint is if everything on the application for the most part is not lined up the way it should be, they just bounce it. They just reject it, decline. They don't necessarily tell you why. It's just we'll give you're a denied. And kind of, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're like, whoa. And here's the tough thing, depending <clears> on <throat> timing and if you are otherwise qualified, like each each month you don't get approved could mean that's money you just have to pay out of your pocket now. Well, I think you just said that some of those places cost around $9,000 a month. So for every month you're not qualified, you can flush another nine grand. Yeah. Or and, more. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, and if you're in assisted living, it may be three grand, Less. right? But it mm-hmm. doesn't matter um, whether it's a thousand or nine, you don't want to miss one month. No. <laughs> All, all situations, that's not a good idea. You yeah. want to get approved the first time you apply. I think we need to go back for one second because we're talking about care at um, assisted living or care at a nursing home, which program you should apply for, making sure you apply for the right one. Um, just going back real quick, one of the other places, and I don't <clears throat> want to bash on assisted living or nursing homes um, because they do an amazing service, but that's also not the necessarily the best place to get your Medicaid advice. That's not a good source because <clears throat> a lot of times what those places will tell you is, um, yeah, we can help you submit a, an application for Medicaid and we'll just see if it gets denied. <laughs> well, they might not tell you that, but that's basically the... Their approach. Mm-hmm. Because... I've had some tell my family families that yeah we'll apply i said it that way because i know that people have been told that and and i guess the lesson to take from that is um they don't care really well i don't know if i want to say they don't care their their interest in you getting medicaid is not urgent they, they know for your loved one to stay in that facility they're going to get paid one way or the other either out of your pocket, out of mom and dad's pocket, or out of a Medicaid program. And actually, in most cases, they're going to get paid a little bit less. They're going to get paid a negotiated rate if they if they start taking Medicaid, right? It's just like insurance. They're going to get paid a little less if it's, Medic- if it's an insurance or Medicaid than they are private pay. So they actually, they're fine if you get denied because they'll actually get paid better if you get denied and they get one more month at the private pay rate. Mm-hmm. So I would say don't rely on what facilities um, well, the tell you line, necessarily. Bottom line is the facilities um, goals and objectives don't align with the families very often, right? So if I'm the patient and I'm in there, um, they're, they're, their interest is to take care of the person, but also be as profitable as possible. And me going on Medicaid means they get to charge less because Medicaid doesn't pay as much as a private. And mm-hmm. so there's just some inherent conflicts of interest between 
the care provider and the patient when it comes to Medicaid and the payer source. So if they are, if they're the ones helping you get on the program, um, just know that they're looking out for their bottom line. They make more money actually, if you don't get approved, cause then they can charge you the normal rate and, um, and, and also they're, they may be well-intentioned, but again, they're, that's, they're not trained professionals in it. So it's very easy for them to make a mistake. So, yeah. And I'd say it's not even, um, necessarily bad intentions. It's just like you say, it's, they're in the business of running a facility and making that facility profitable and providing quality care. They're not in the business of looking out for people's interests who are applying for assistance, paying for that care. Yeah. Their focus is, Hey, this person who needs care from us, how can we help them save as much money as possible on their care? No, that's just, it's just like anybody selling anything. That's not necessarily what they're, that's not what they're looking out for. Yeah. You know, that's the whole medical system as a whole. They're not, they're, Mm -hmm. they're focused on giving you the care. They're not focused on, Hey, what's the way that I can help this person. So it's as cheap as possible for them. Yeah. It's like when the, when's the last time you walked into a doctor's office and they, you needed to something from a health perspective and they broke out a fee schedule and said, so this is what it's going to cost. You can add this or not. You can. I mean, it's not like you're ordering from a menu. It's just, we're just going to do just, whatever we think you they need. write the order and you either go get the care or you don't. And if you do, you pay the rate. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's how long-term care is as well. So if they're the ones helping you with Medicaid, it's the same thing. We'll help you do with Medicaid, but whatever happens happens and you got to figure out how to pay for it. If you don't get approved, mm-hmm. um, they just have, so Okay, so sorry, I had to. I just I had to throw that in because I think um, that's another place where people maybe don't get great information. But yeah, it's important to apply for the correct program. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also important to apply for the correct program at the correct time. Oh, I can't just get on and then. So I can't apply now. And then in 20 years, if I need assisted living, I can just use the benefit. No, um, no. My experience has been that people are familiar with a couple of aspects of Medicaid. One is a spend down. The other one is a look back. Mm. People have heard, gosh, when you do this, they can go like 30 years into your past <laughs> and look at everything you did with your money. I haven't heard that far back. 30 years? And every gift you ever gave, like the $5 gifts you gave in the 70s for birthdays, they can look at. Now I'm being a little dramatic, but. um, So yeah, t- they can, but I, okay, not 30, but divide that by six. They can go five years back. Yeah. 60 months and they have some discretion there so we've seen some when they look back they'll they'll look at a lot right yeah yeah sometimes it's like yeah they'll take a glance back other times it's like all right we need printed bank statements 
60 of them for the well, last have, five years. Yeah. Now they have what they call the ABS system, which is asset <laughs> verification system. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. And it's terrifying. So if you want to be a little freaked out, <laughs> then Google that. But it's essentially <laughs> when someone applies for Medicaid, the state can do their own asset verification where they check some database that knows a lot of financial information about people. Yeah. And we actually, because of what we do, we have access to a similar type database. <laughs> and I could not believe how freaked out I was after I learned what that system was capable of. I mean, it's like NSA stuff. It's like spy movie stuff. Okay. So we've had families apply <laughs> For their parents, right? And they're like, yep, I, get, I told you all the assets. And then the state comes back and be like, what about this bank account and this bank account? And no one knows about it. And like, yep. in, it's an account. There's no paper trail in the house. The family didn't know it. Mom or dad's capacity is diminished. So they don't remember it. But the state found it. And now they want to see bank statements on it. Right? Nope. And now the scramble begins like oh crap where is that and so if they find an account um that wasn't disclosed and they look at the statements and they see a bunch of cash withdrawals they're going to want to know where that went if they see gifts then all that stuff impacts it so what does that have to do with time though nathan what does that have to do with our timing <clears throat> well i don't know if we've ever said this on our podcast or not but if we haven't, let this be the time that you pay attention. Um, the sooner you plan for a long-term care scenario, the better. People that plan ahead win. People that wait until the event has already occurred and then try to clean up the mess lose. So what we mean is <clears throat> that when you work with the right professionals, they're not going to allow you to submit an application for Medicaid until they know your loved one's eligible or yeah, this is going to get too complicated, or they have a strategy for what happens if they're not currently eligible. And there's a reason to submit that application during a period of ineligibility. Yeah, I'm going to put it another way. Like, so let's say um, somebody is starting to have some medical issues and they might be able to private pay for a while, right? Mm -hmm. They have some financial resources. Well, there might be a strategy where it makes sense for them to do some gifting and apply right away versus waiting. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it may make sense for them not to apply yet because they're, they got some gifts that they're waiting to deal with. And if you apply, then those gifts will become an issue. So it's, it's hard. I don't know. It is hard to explain it without getting too into the weeds and like going deep into all the Medicaid rules. But the bottom line is. Yeah. Like we're going to start using words here in a minute that normal humans 
don't have the ability to comprehend. Like you have to be some kind of freak job, law geek <laughs> to really get what we're talking about. So we don't want to do that. But I guess what we want to say is, can you just take our word that like timing is super important in this? I mean, when I say there's a five-year look back, that should be enough to motivate everybody to be like, oh, okay, well, so then we ought to be thinking this, thinking about this well before we ever need that type of care. Or if we think that mom or dad is, are declining, um, maybe there's some cognitive decline, then yesterday was the appropriate time to make the phone call. And if you didn't do it yesterday, do it today. Mm-hmm. And who should they call? Well, really, they have to work with a good elder law attorney who deals with Medicaid or a, at least a certified Medicaid planner. Those are mm-hmm. those are the two. And if you are working with a certified Medicaid planner, you probably should ask them how many applications they've actually done, right? Yeah. If they've done 10, you probably need to bring in an elder law attorney to work with them. Yeah, you don't want to be practice case number 11. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, hopefully they've done at least a couple hundred. Yeah, and so that brings up another thing, and, and that is that a lot of times um, people have this notion that, like, all this advice, all of this assistance should be free. Yeah, well, works. my CPA gives me all my advice and doesn't <laughs> transfer free. When you take your vehicle in across the street here to have the oil change and the tires rotated and they just do that for free. They just go, Hey Mike. Yeah. Everything's good to see free. you. Thanks for coming in every three months or so. And one charges. This one's on the house again. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's not going to. So I guess this is one of those places where you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. So if you do have a assisted living or a nursing home, help you with your application and they do it for free, then you pretty much can't be upset if it doesn't go well. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you try to do it yourself. Um, I may or may not. No, I'll just admit to it that this past week we had a problem with our dishwasher. Oh, and I, decided to, I don't know why it was on a whim. I probably was listening to some music and was feeling brave. And (laughs) so over the past two weeks, I have seen parts of a dishwasher that no one should ever have to see except a dishwasher manufacturer, repair person, or plumber. And let's just be clear. I'm a lawyer and I did get the thing back together so I ordered a part and, but because of supply chain issues and all that fun stuff that goes along with being alive in 2022, I could only find a used part certified used. Um, I got it back in, it all went back in, it's all working, but the dishwasher doesn't work any better than it did to start with. So that was about $200 worth of parts and Days of my life that I will never get back. (laughs) Days of my life that I will never get back. And somehow at the end of that, I'm, I actually wasn't, I was like, 
I wasn't surprised when I turned it back on and it will still only wash the dishes in the lower basket. That is so it's like okay, so note to self, never do this again. Never go outside of your area of I mean, so I had a dentist one time tell me, and I'm not kidding, that he went into a guy's mouth um, because the guy had an abscess. And I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast or not before, but he said this abscess was like the guy's, the whole side of his face was just swollen up. I mean, it was bad. Like he was medically in danger because the problem with an abscess tooth that goes bad is it's really close to your sinuses. It's really close to your eyes, your ears, your brain, um, all kinds of stuff. And you get a bad infection in your face, deep in your face, you can go septic and you can die. And when he was going into this guy's mouth, that was his main concern. And he was like, he basically told his staff, look, when I open this up, be ready to call an ambulance because depending on what I find, he might be in such bad shape already that we need to get him to an ER. Well, <clears throat> I said, well, why was the tooth so bad? And he said, cause the guy's crown fell out and he took super glue and super glued the crown back, back into his own head. Hmm. So don't be, he made it took some serious professional attention. He did not have to go to the hospital. He did have, he was on antibiotics for a long time. He did have an extensive root canal. Um, I can't remember if he said that they, that tooth just had to like be completely removed or not. It's possible that it had did. to be completely removed. Probably did. Yeah. Just killed the tooth. But so I guess don't be, the person who super glues crowns back into their own head. It's okay if I super glue someone else's crown in <laughs> to there. So that's your neighbor or your family <laughs> member that knows everything, right? They're running around with the super glue and they're holding your crown and they're saying, <laughs> just hold still. I got the glue on it. It's drying. It's, it's set up. It's perfect. I can just, I'll just set, I'll just set it right in there. Oh, <laughs> uh, that. I don't think you have told that story, Nathan. I don't, I don't recall that one. Yeah, no. So that's a good, that's a good. So don't do it yourself. Don't fix your own dishwasher. I mean, first of all, like you can get killed fixing your own dishwasher. I know people that have lost, like, I don't know them personally, but like we know people on my wife's side of family that had friends that dad died under the dishwasher because he didn't turn the freaking electricity off before and that's 240 that's not that's not 120 his was 240 huh yeah so, so don't apply you for your don't diy your medicaid application don't let other people do your app other non-professionals do your medicaid application you'll apply for the wrong program you'll apply at the wrong time um should we give one more mistake tip before we wrap it up yeah yeah um i i think we do the gift one yeah because i think that's an important one 
we've talked a lot about eligibility. Eligibility was our other one. We'll just say a few words on that. And that is that there are a lot of aspects that go into whether or not you're eligible for Medicaid and they're not just health related. They have to do with assets, income, um, timing, all of those things. So that's all we'll say is that eligibility is a is an important um, factor and pretty much everything we've said so far applies to that, that all the things we've talked about go into whether or not eligibility is, is there, but what about gifts? Cause I just heard you say that, well, a minute ago you said that making an improper gift, then you kind of said something about that maybe sometimes you would give a gift and then apply. So you're saying there are good gifts and bad gifts. That was very perceptive of you, Nathan. There, there's gifts, period, and depending on how your what your strategy is, it, the gift can help you or hurt you. I'll put it that way. But you know, if you go to the IRS's website and you look for 2022, the annual gift exclusion is sixteen thousand per year. So I can give sixteen thousand per, per year to, to per person per year per person, and. No, I don't, I don't, I don't owe any gift tax. So same thing. So I can give, so you're saying that if I'm applying for Medicaid, then I can give as many people as I want $16,000 and everything will be okay. No, I'm not saying that at all. Why oh. would you think that? Well, cause you just said that I can give $16,000 a year and not have to file a gift tax return. Yeah, Nathan, that's the IRS, not Medicaid. Totally oh. different. Those aren't so, the Yeah, we've never seen that happen where people get rules from one bureaucracy confused with rules from another one. Actually, I get that one almost every case. Wait a minute. I can give gifts. It says right here on the website that I, on the IRS website, that I can give yeah. $16,000 a year to as many people as I want. My CPA said, I can give 16,000 per person. Yeah. From a tax perspective. Absolutely. I'm like, yeah, that's so, that is. But from a Medicaid perspective, go ahead and try that and see what happens. Actually, I shouldn't say it that way. Don't. Don't don't see what happens. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. So every state's a little different, but essentially pretty much anytime you give someone money and you don't get something back that's of equal value, it's a gift, whether it's $20, $20,000, two million dollars. What if it's that I what if what if I give my kids a great deal on my house? Oh sell it to them for 10 bucks. Well, no, I mean, I sell it to them for half of fair market value. It's still hundreds of thousands of dollars because property values in Utah are insane right now. So I sold them a $450,000 house for $225,000. That's fine. I sold it to them. It's not a gift. I mean, the verbiage says less than fair market value. So Mm -hmm. it's a gift. So I sold it to him and I gave him a gift. Yep. You can do both. It's like walking and chewing gum at the same time. Mm -hmm. You can, you can sell something to someone, but it can still be a gift Mm -hmm. because it wasn't for fair market value. 
And that never happens though, that family members sell things to each other for less than fair market value ever, right? Yeah. And you know, and that's a no, tough that you were supposed to say oh, yes, no. Nathan, that happens all the time. Oh, it does happen all the time. <laughs> You're like, nope. I'm like, this is a softball, Mike. It was not a curve. Uh sorry, Nathan. I missed that one. I missed that one. Strike one. Don't let it happen again. Never again. Gifting's hard though, Nathan, because it really, I mean, it kind of overlaps into normal behavior, right? Like, so what the birthday gift I gave my kid last year, can that be a gift? And the answer is actually yes. And Mm -hmm. that we've actually seen the state take the position that donations to charities, they've they've denied application because of donations to charities. So some states are, are better than others at some of those things, but you got to understand, you know, exactly what your jurisdiction's going to treat as a gift and what's not going to be a gift. You can't rely on your CPA. You can't rely on the tax rules. You can't rely on Medicaid. You need to have someone who really knows what they're, what they're going to treat as a gift or not. So, I don't know. I, I kind of get the sense that you're saying that venturing into the world of Medicaid is like going on a dangerous jungle safari. (laughs) It's, it's definitely safer than a safari, but it's safer how you probably won't die, but Financially, it's way more dangerous than a safari. Mm. So metaphorically, yeah, it's like mm-hmm. going on a dangerous jungle safari. I think that's the wrong way to put it because going on a dangerous jungle safari actually sounds fun to me. Yeah. Um, People pay for that. It's like, I don't know, um, getting lost in a desert wasteland. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's right on. Miserable, dangerous, nothing to look at. That's fun. Um, Lots of different ways to die. Poisonous snakes, um, plants that you desperately crack open to suck the water out of and they end up being poisonous just baking to death from heat dying of thirst takes so long you just get out yeah yeah (laughs) yeah print print one of those suckers that's something i'll say go online find a meta if you can if you can actually pull this off this will be interesting to see but so you can find the application for nursing home Medicaid in your, your jurisdiction and print that sucker. And then ask yourself as you start going through it, do I really feel good about this? This feels like I've been lost in a desert wasteland. (laughs) Well, even after you turn it in, Nathan, it could just be lost in there and you're still, Mm -hmm. you thought you were out or it could come back and they need 25 verifications. It's an oasis. You thought you were out, right? It's a mirage, right? You're like, oh, water. I'm at the end. I made it. The application's completed. I'm submitting. 
<laughs> turned it in. I gave him all the paperwork. And then I made it. 45 days later, <laughs> that's being optimistic. 45 days later, you get it back and they either denied it or they want 25 more pieces of information to back up what's in the application and it was a mirage and you just fall to your knees and you yeah. well that's when you fall to your knees and like you no more strength and you gasp and take your last breath and you're dead <laughs> i mean i we're laughing but I'm kind, of being, I'm kind of being a little serious here. Like I've seen families where mm -hmm. if you asked them what it was like, they would not disagree that it was like being lost in a desert wasteland. Yeah, it's, it's definitely maybe we'll title this episode. Medicaid. Medicaid wasteland. being lost in a desert wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we gotta go. I did turn the um, I did turn the breaker off before I got under the dishwasher, That's so okay. I survived. Um, we're still gonna be buying a new dishwasher, um, and I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I had a I had a similar experience, but much more smaller scale. I'll tell you about. Maybe I wish I would have. Yeah, you should tell me about. It. I wish I would have taken pictures of this thing when it was torn apart. I mean, it was insane. Like I had tape with labels on everything because I was like, and I took pictures. And thankfully, I had a YouTube video. That's probably the first way to know that you're going astray is if you're going to go do a big project and you're. <laughs> And the thing that you have to fall back on is a YouTube video. Hey, some people have done some pretty hard stuff using a YouTube. No, they have, but but for every success, sometimes I mean. So done. this is a job that a plumber would have taken them maybe a couple hours, maybe an afternoon, well, and it would have actually been fixed, mm -hmm. or they would have been able to tell me it's not fixable. You need to pull that thing out and toss it and get a new one. But for me, it was like, I had to take it all apart. Then it was sat in the kitchen. We had to put a fence around it so the dogs wouldn't get into it. While I ordered the part, we had to wait for the part to come. Then this weekend, I put it all back together. Just don't do it. <laughs> Find a qualified professional to help you with difficult technical tasks like applying for Medicaid. You know, every once in a while, we all do something like that where that, so we can remind ourselves. Yeah, mm -hmm. I should never do that. But I'm gonna try to learn permanently from this one. You're gonna, this one is gonna stick with you? It's gonna stick? Yeah, this one, this one left deep, deep scars that I think will remind me this time, deep visible scars that will remind me this time that you should never do that again. My, my job was to, I should have been, there's 10 other things I should have been doing from a work perspective or a family perspective while the plumber just came and knocked that out in an afternoon. Mm -hmm. Same could be said of your Medicaid application. 
don't make these mistakes, hire a qualified professional and get it done right. Yeah, because instead of feeling like you're lost in the desert, you can feel like you're just sitting at the pool. Maybe not. Yeah. Well, I mean, you still have to pay, so it's not super fun. You have to pay to have that done, but I guess you still have a loved one in in going to a nursing home and that's, yeah, you do. There's all those stress that comes from that. So it's not, it's not a pool, but but I guess the way you could look at it is that's hard enough. That's hard enough financially. That's hard enough emotionally. um, emotionally, That's hard enough in some cases, physically, Mm -hmm. um, mentally. So don't add a whole nother level of difficulty, a whole nother layer of pain to it. Yeah. I agree. Well, everyone, what is your final parting thought? I would just say that because you're going to go teach a class on this. Yep. Yeah, as after I get done with my class, um, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and make a post on social media. No, just kidding. Um, basically, after my, you know, after my class, I'm just gonna. It's just gonna remind me that it's basically a system that we've set up that. Without that nothing to do with setting this up, I guess I did because I, our our politicians set up that. You you just have to have professionals now to help you with it. And that's kind of where we're at, unfortunately. But um, if you need a good recommendation or you need to find someone to help you, reach out. We'll we'll help you find someone. Yes, we will. For sure. Okay. See you, everyone. See you next time. You've been listening to Legacy Lawyers with Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. We give you the juicy detail of cases that our law firm has dealt with. We take out the lawyer talk and legalese and show you what options some of our clients had to choose from to fix their situation. The effects of not doing planning can be devastating. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook and Instagram at Voyant Legal. Call us at 801-951-0500 or send us an email at team at voyantlegal.com. And for commonly asked questions, hit voyantlegal.com slash resources. We'll see you next time.